This is by body, this is by blood, Miracles of the Eucharist, Book 1, Turin, 1453, Benediction. The history of our church has been one of turmoil. The Son can be compared to the host, the body of our Lord Jesus in the Eucharist. The gleam of the Son is like the life-giving rays of the Eucharist. It nourishes us, it warms us, it gives us life. When it shines on us, we are enveloped in the compassion of his love. The black storm clouds that block out the life and warmth of the sun are the enemies of the Eucharist. From the beginning of the church, they have tried to prevent the lifeblood of the church, the Eucharist, from reaching us. But the light of the world, Jesus in the gift of the Eucharist, has always managed to break through the cloud cover and beam down to us. He uses many means to get the job done, people, situations, and very often miracles. Every war that has been waged, when analyzed at the root, has been a religious war. The people of God, down through the ages, have been in constant struggle against the powers of darkness. The list of enemies, Caesar, Nero, Attila the Hun, Mohammed II, Napoleon, Hitler, Stalin, Ho Chi Minh, Arafat, Gaddafi, and whoever is chosen to follow them, reads like a who's who of evil. Their justifications range from spreading culture through colonialism, to preserving the Aryan race, to safeguarding the state against its enemies, to helping the Palestinians regain their country, and on and on. But when we break it down, when we get to the base, it's a war between the two major powers of the world, God and the devil. In the year 1453, Mohammed II captured Constantinople, massacring hundreds of thousands of Christians. His plan was to continue his attack of terror throughout Europe. The logical thing for the Europeans would have been to join forces to stop this attack, but the powers of evil, the dark clouds, distracted the powers of the European countries by creating conflicts from within. Italy was a perfect example of this, and one which demanded immediate attention from Jesus. As we have seen, cities like Milan, Turin, Venice, and Florence were not cities at that time. They were little empires, and they were constantly warring with each other. The dukedom of Milan was up for grabs after the death of its ruler, Francesco Maria Visconti, in 1447. A weak republic was formed by the people, which was doomed from the outset. In 1450, as a result of infighting, the drowning republic pleaded for help to one Francesco Esforza, a powerful force in Italy. He immediately proclaimed himself Duke of Milan, and the battle began. The various dukes who had Milan in their sights, the Duke of Venice, the Duke of Naples, the Duke of Monferrato, and the Duke of Piedmonte and Savoy began a war that lasted four years. We can easily see the distraction. During this conflict, Mohammed II had built up forces, attacked and conquered Constantinople, and proceeded northwest. The Italian powers were so involved with the war over Milan that they didn't pay attention. Francesco Esforza was not strong enough to resist this enormous barrage against him. 
His only ally in Italy was Florence, and that was not enough. In desperation, he enlisted the aid of other foreign powers. The Duke of Anjou and Lorraine had eyes on the Kingdom of Naples and Sicily. He agreed to help Francesco Sforza in Milan in exchange for Naples and Sicily after the smoke of the battle had ended. The army of Anjou and Lorraine marched towards Milan in defense of Sforza. However, they had to pass through Piedmonte, which was ruled by one of the enemies of Milan. The attitude of their leader, Ludwig, was that if they were friends of his enemies, they were his enemies also. So when the army approached Piedmonte, they had to engage in battle with the Piedmontese troops. In a bloody battle, the troops of Anjou were turned back. This took place in the countryside of Exiles, where a miracle took place. When the Piedmontese troops crossed into the country of Exiles and the troops from Anjou approached, all the peasants, indeed, everyone living in that area, left their homes. After the battle, the troops from Anjou retreated from the countryside. The Piedmontese soldiers began looting the homes and churches in the villages. One particular soldier entered the local church in Exiles and forced open the tabernacle door to steal the monstrance. He grabbed it, knowing but not caring that he had also taken the consecrated host contained inside the body of Christ. The monstrance was used for benedictions. The soldier threw the monstrance into his sack and loaded it onto his donkey. The animal was uncomfortable with the sack on his back, probably because the Lord made it that way. The sack kept falling off the animal's back. The soldier wanted to get rid of his stolen goods anyway, so he sold the entire sack to the first merchant he came across at what we would call a highly discounted price. That merchant, in turn, sold the sack to another merchant, who sold it to another merchant. By the time the last merchant brought the sack, he was headed for Turin. He entered the city with a donkey carrying the sack. At the church of St. Sylvester, the donkey stumbled and fell. His owner tried to get him up. The animal refused to move. His owner began to beat him. A crowd gathered. No one liked to see animals mistreated. The larger the crowd, the more frustrated the merchant became. He beat the donkey unmercifully. The donkey moved from side to side, trying to avoid the lashes of his master. The sack slipped from the donkey's back and fell to the ground, spilling the contents all over the street. All eyes focused on the monstrance, or rather the host inside. It glistened, becoming so bright that they had to avert their eyes from the glare. The monstrance rose into the air to a height of about 10 or 12 feet, at which point it stopped and remained suspended in the air. The crowd uttered gasp of disbelief at the miraculous sign in their midst. From the Church of St. Sylvester, Father Cocono noticed the crowd and came to see what was attracting them. Once he saw the monstrance floating freely in the air, he was aware that this was a sign from the Lord. The priest ran off to inform the bishop of what was happening. 
the bishop immediately assembled a procession of priests from the cathedral and started off towards the square. Word spread quickly, and officials of the city filed in behind. When the bishop arrived at the scene, the monstrance opened and fell to the ground, leaving the sacred host in suspension. It was surrounded by a dazzling aura. The bishop began chanting a hymn in Latin, joined by the priest. The townspeople sang, Resta con noi, stay with us. This host began its descent. The bishop held out a chalice. The miraculous host floated down and gently landed in the chalice. The townspeople marveled at this and followed the bishop in procession to the cathedral. The Vatican was immediately advised. The date of this miracle was June 6, 1453. Eight days before this, Mohammed II conquered Constantinople and seated himself in the Cathedral of St. Sophia. In the same time period, another Eucharistic miracle occurred in Langenwies, a small town between Poland and Czechoslovakia. Shortly after, the war for control of Milan ended. Veneration of the Eucharistic miracle of Turin began immediately. Pilgrims from all over Italy and later from all over Europe gathered at the shrine. In the meantime, word drifted out from the southeast that the Arabs were moving towards Poland and Czechoslovakia in their effort to destroy Christianity. In 1455, the hierarchy of the Church of Turin unanimously voted to have an honorary tabernacle made to conserve the Eucharistic miracle. The following year, the Arab invasion was stopped at Belgrade. The tabernacle was completed in 1459. Thirty years later, however, the Cardinal Archbishop of Turin, Domenica de la Rovere, gave the order for a new cathedral to be built and a new tabernacle to house the Eucharistic miracle. The host was kept in the new tabernacle until a new marble shrine was erected at the spot where the donkey had fallen in 1453. The entire city of Turin rallied around the miracle. The city put up a small marker after the miracle had occurred at the place where the donkey had fallen. It became such a strong place of pilgrimage that the pilgrims couldn't be contained in that small area. An actual building was put up in 1521 as a place of devotion for the people. The oratory was built over the place where the donkey had fallen. In 1525, the company of Corpus Christi was instituted to be protectors of the Eucharistic miracle. Their badge was the monstrance with the host suspended in air above. They were put in charge of the marble oratory built in honor of the miracle and the place where the donkey fell. A strange thing happened around the year 1584. The exact date is not certain. Word came from the Holy See that the Eucharistic miracle was to be consumed. This is very unusual. From what we can gather, the host was still in an incorrupt form. The justification given by the Vatican was, in order not to obligate God to keep this Eucharistic miracle incorrupt forever. It has been our experience in researching these shrines and miracles that as long as they were incorrupt, the Eucharistic miracles were never touched. It is only due to the Lord that devotion to this beautiful sacred host snatched away from the people 
did not stop with the papal order of 1584. They continued venerating the Eucharistic miracle. In 1598, in the midst of yet another war, this time between the Piemontese and the French, a plague broke out over the entire province. As if the deaths due to the bloodshed of the war were not enough, the plague destroyed many others. If the Lord was giving a message to the people, it was picked up immediately by the town council of Turin. They made a promise to Jesus. If he would only spare the people from the deadly disease, a brand new church will be built in honor of the blessed sacrament of Turin. The Lord agreed. The plague ended. In 1607, the foundations were laid for the new church, which was finished in 1671. To the left of the main altar, an area closed in by a railing is the spot where the donkey fell. There is a plaque with an inscription in Latin. St. John Bosco, or as we know him, St. Don Bosco, translated it as follows. Here, on the 6th of June, 1453, the donkey fell who was carrying the body of the Lord. Here, the sacred host, loosed from its bonds, rose in the air. Here, it descended kindly to the supplicating hands of the Turinese. Here, therefore, remember the miracle, kneel on the ground and venerate and fear the sacred place. In the little church of Exiles, where the robbery took place that day in 1453, the broken tabernacle has never been fixed. They kept it in its original form as a tribute to the miraculous occurrence. On the various centenaries of the feast, solemn processions and celebrations have taken place. In 1853, St. John Bosco wrote about the feast and the extensive preparations that were made in anticipation for it. That particular feast was highlighted by the presence of Queen Adelaide, wife of Vittorio Emmanuel II, and Queen Maria Teresa, widow of Carlo Alberto, both of whom received communion in the Basilica. In 1953, the date of the celebration of the fifth centennial was moved up to September 6th through the 13th to coincide with the Eucharistic Congress that was held there that year. Special hymns have been written in honor of the Eucharistic miracle of Turin. They are sung on the feast days and especially during the centenary celebrations. They are as follows. We sing with due praises the total power of God and the greatest pledge of the divine love towards this city. Here the animal stopped, burdened with the precious weight. Here from the evil predator, he freed himself of the burden. It rises into the air, splendid divine host, the truth of the faith triumphs, and heresy is confused. Turin is a large industrial city. It is also an intellectual city. Over the years, Turin has always been known as a hotbed of insurrection and unrest. There was a reason, a very important reason, why the Lord chose Turin to be the recipient of this Eucharistic miracle. Even Turin's distance from the scene of the battle which precipitated the entire affair is amazing. It probably took place on the French side of the mountains. Even if it had happened on the Italian side, it could only have been divine direction 
that brought the sack changing hands only the Lord knows how many times into Turin. In all our years of travel and research, only once have we been robbed. Our car was broken into outside the Church of the Holy Shroud in Turin before we learned of the miracle. Then we were told that the Red Brigade, while they were in existence, had had their headquarters in Turin. We decided that the Turinese were not our kind of people and that we will never go back to Turin again. The Lord does strange things to people, especially us. A few years after this incident, we were at a papal audience at St. Peter's Square in Rome. We were waiting for the arrival of His Holiness Pope John Paul II. As is our custom, we spoke to the people sitting around us. We met a beautiful mother and son with whom we became very close. You guessed it, they were from Turin. Then we learned about this Eucharistic miracle. Needless to say, the Lord has brought us back to Turin. The events leading up to the Eucharistic miracle in Turin, both on the side of the Lord and on the side of the devil, give us a concentrated view of how they work in the entire world. Jesus allows Lucifer to wreak his havoc throughout the world, while he counterattacks Satan on every side. For every action on the part of the devil, there is a reaction on the Lord's part to protect and save us from evil. Please load our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Here is how to download our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Simply, with your iPhone or Android device, go to the App Store, search for Bob and Penny Lord app, and download it. It's that simple. Here's what you can do with our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Number one, the, there's a link to our marketplaces, our websites, uh our uh, blog, and this podcast. The second link is to our Bob and Penny Lord TV channel, where you can access all of our videos as seen on EWTN, plus a whole lot more. Thank you very much.